This episode features dramatizations of alcohol use, gore, torture, and references to incest. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Scorpion Men. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Babylonian and Mesopotamian legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. This episode is part of our summer solstice takeover. Over the past two weeks, we've been digging into the myths and legends of the stars. Check out Superstitions, Tales, and Mythology for more of the special. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we face the Scorpion Men, terrifying half-man, half-scorpion killers from ancient Babylonian mythology. Their archery skills, sharp stingers, and deadly venom make them a menace that even the gods fear. But the scariest thing about them may be their killer sense of justice. Coming up, One God Falls and New Gods Rise. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Our modern zodiac has its roots in Greek myths, but those myths were originally inspired by the legends and monsters of the ancient Middle Eastern Empire of Babylon. Monsters like the terrifying and alluring Scorpion Men. The most iconic passage about the Scorpion Men of Babylonian mythos comes from the Epic of Gilgamesh, a text written in the second millennium BCE. In it, the god-king Gilgamesh encounters two half-scorpion beings, a male and female, who guard the gates to the underworld. They're described as follows. There were scorpion men guarding its gate, whose terror was dread, whose glance was death, 
whose radiance was fearful, overwhelming the mountains. Pretty intimidating, though maybe some Scorpios listening right now feel flattered, as is their right. In ancient texts from Babylon, where Iraq is today, the scorpion men occupy an unusual gray area between friend and foe. The scary parts are pretty clear. They're half scorpion, shoot deadly venom from their stingers, and never miss a shot with their bows and arrows. They enjoy spending time in the underworld, torturing the dead, and forcing souls to eat dirt. Some tales say they're as tall as the sky and can kill you with just a look. But there's more to these beasts. They see beyond the horizon, which means they can tell a traveler's future. In Gilgamesh, they help the hero on his journey because they deem his cause to be worthy. They're also guardians of the god Shamash, who ruled over the sun, life, and justice. It's this sense of justice that makes the scorpion men remarkable friends and foes. They assist a higher power and are blindly devoted to their leader's cause, no matter how noble or twisted it is. And their original purpose was twisted indeed. Before Gilgamesh and Shamash, the scorpion men originated in the Enuma Elish, a Babylonian creation epic that survived on tablets carved no later than the 12th century BCE. It begins in an age before our human world was created. Only gods existed, but their passions and flaws feel quite relatable. The Babylonian gods were just as susceptible to treachery as humans are. They were even capable of murder. But sometimes the wrong god was killed, and only the scorpion men could provide the right sting of justice. (laughs) The great god ruler Apsu was dead, slain in his bed by an unknown assassin. It was the first time any of the younger gods had heard a deity could even die, and everyone who attended Apsu's funeral had the same question on their mind. Am I next? Some also asked themselves, am I next in line for the throne? One young god named Marduk had a different question. He looked beyond the pack of mourning gods to the funeral pyres burning over the newly built temple of Apsu, where the creator was laid to rest. Marduk wondered, how can I help make things right? Not much, he suspected. He was young among the gods, and he barely had a sense of his own power. He'd once conjured a little storm, but, well, it had been a cloudy day. His older siblings, who were also his parents and cousins because God's families were complex, certainly didn't encourage him. They just tolerated him. The only deity who'd ever shown interest in Marduk was the goddess Tiamat, Apsu's consort, Marduk's great aunt of sorts, and matriarch to all. Today, she stood behind her descendants, weeping alone. Marduk approached her with caution. He wasn't used to seeing this steely force at her wit's end. She trembled, tears streaming from her eyes, nose, and scales. She was usually a wild sea serpent, but she'd shifted into a woman-like form to slither onto land and attend the funeral. Tiamat was not herself, in every sense. And she was in danger, too. Marduk realized in horror as he got closer. 
there was a scorpion climbing her tail. He dove forward, trying to pluck it off before it dug its stinger into her. But before he could reach it, Tiamat grabbed him and hissed, Leave it. Marduk didn't understand, but the venom will make you numb. Tiamat shrugged, barely flinching as the bug stung her. I'd rather feel numb than feel everything. Pardon me, little Marduk. I'm happy to see you. Perhaps happier than I am to see my nearest and dearest spawn. Marduk watched the goddess's eyes drift over some of her children. Inki, a cocky fertility god. Lamu, a silly slip of a goddess who was giggling, presumably out of nervousness. Kingu the Wise, lost in solemn silence. And last, beautiful, unpredictable Inanna, who Marduk hoped to say hello to later. She was one reason he'd attended the funeral. A minor reason, but still a reason. He asked why Tiamat wasn't happy to see her most praised children. She whispered, How can I be certain they didn't kill Apsu? I could be next. Marduk tried to reassure the haunted goddess. Your children mean you no harm? Why, they plan to spend all night in Apsu's tomb mourning his death. Tiamat sighed. Then tell me, why wasn't I invited? Marduk deflated. I don't know. I wasn't either. Marduk stood deathly still as Tiamat's tail snaked around his arm. She mused, Maybe that means I can trust you. Go tonight, Marduk. Be my eyes at this so-called mourning ceremony. Seek the truth and reassure me that my children are just as devastated as I am. Marduk protested, Great goddess, I can't. They don't even like me. Well, maybe Kingu likes me, but he treats me like a child, and Inky treats me like prey. Tiamat scoffed with a hint of her old edge. Grow up, boy. Bring some cheap beer, and Inky will be glad to see you. He's also more honest if he's drunk. Marduk didn't like how small Tiamat made him feel. So he took a deep breath and asked a very brave, very stupid question. What's in it for me? Tiamat cocked her head, amused. My respect? Inanna's hand? Maybe Inky's head on a spike if I'm feeling mischievous. But most of all, it's a chance for you to show me you could lead someday. Tiamat's tail gripped his arm with pride. Marduk stifled an incredulous grin. Today was a terrible day, but could tonight be the best night of his life? After sunset, Marduk crept up the hill to the looming temple of Apsu. Though it was still distant, he saw soft torchlight glow from narrow windows on every side of the massive square edifice. It certainly felt solemn and respectful. Hot wind ruffled his hair. He wished he could pat it down and wipe sweat off his brow, but he couldn't because he was lugging a pot of beer. It felt like it weighed more than him and it smelled awful. He'd never tried it and he didn't want to. He blew his hair off his forehead, heaved the pot higher and walked faster. 
Of course, he tripped on a stone and sloshed beer all over his tunic. Marduk groaned and set the pot down. He grabbed his tunic and wrung the unholy mix of sweat and beer onto the ground. The liquid trickled into the dirt. He watched as a scorpion crept up to investigate the puddle. It dipped its mouth into the liquid. Then it hissed. It sounded louder than scorpions usually did, but Marduk supposed beer had that effect on most beasts. Except then Marduk realized it wasn't quite a hiss, more of a whisper, and it wasn't coming from the scorpion. That terrifying whisper seemed to speak. Marduk heard it say, go. Marduk looked up the hill at one of the temple's front windows. He saw a robed figure for a moment before it retreated. Then he looked back at the dark marsh he'd trekked through. He called out, hello? Marduk was sure now. The sound came from the swamp. Maybe it was a whole nest of scorpions, or one giant talking scorpion, or something that wasn't a scorpion. He had to stop thinking about scorpions. He had to get to the temple. When he arrived at the top of the hill, Marduk decided not to knock on the temple's large metal doors. Maybe the gods were worshiping or weeping. He couldn't just interrupt their grief. He peered into the window to get a sense of the atmosphere, but the temple's main hall was empty. Where was everyone? Marduk set the beer down to stalk along the building's side. Finally, he started to hear whispers, so he got on his tiptoes to peer into another window. This one opened onto a burial chamber, where he saw a dozen hooded figures around Apsu's stone tomb, chanting with reverent sadness. Immediately, Marduk felt like a fool. Tiamat was just paranoid. Her children were grieving, even Inky. He pulled down his hood and intoned, Rest in peace, my lord, looking serious for the first time in his life, until he grinned. And good riddance, father. Now let's celebrate. Marduk gasped as the hoods came off and the gods came out to play. Inki uncorked a bottle of wine with his teeth. Lamu hopped up to lounge on the tomb so Inki could splash wine down her throat and his throat, and across her chest, and his too. The wine splashed into the tomb, but they didn't seem to care. Marduk jumped as the music started. He saw two lesser gods pull out a lyre and drums to play a tune that was far too catchy for a funeral. His heart trembled at the sight of Inanna, blowing glittering dust on the torches to turn them pink and purple and orange. The only god who retained some decorum was Tiamat's favorite son, Kingu, and even he let Inki pour him wine. Marduk backed away from the window. He'd seen enough, and Tiamat was right. They were traitors. He scrambled back along the temple's side, but when he turned the corner to the front, Marduk heard a familiar hiss. 
men lurked at the temple's front doors, half cloaked in shadow. They were tall and broad, with veils over their eyes, and archers' bows strapped across their rippling chests. But their top half wasn't the scary part. They had the brown, red, skittering legs and pinchers of scorpions, with stingers waving like tails behind them. They hissed at the gate, then turned. Though their eyes were veiled, Marduk knew these monsters were looking right at him. So he did exactly what even the most expert spy would do. He screamed. Coming up, Marduk crashes a party and the body count rises. Every so often, something so impactful happens, it has the power to capture the attention of a whole country. An event so deadly or dumbfounding, it has no choice but to live on in infamy. Hi, Parcasters. It's Ashley Flowers, and I'm exposing the most sinister cases from the darkest corners of the globe in my new true crime limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, come along as I guide you on a wicked world tour. 15 different countries, 15 infamous crimes. Take a trip to Iceland where six people confessed to a murder that never actually happened. Journey to Mexico where a Lucha Libre wrestler moonlights as a serial killer. And travel to New Zealand where two friends hatch a deadly plan to become famous. Each episode of International Infamy explores the twists and turns of a notoriously high-profile case, zeroing in on the cultural details which make the crime unique to its location and explaining why it couldn't have happened anywhere else. Follow my new Spotify original from ParCast, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers, and catch a new episode every week. Listen free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Marduk cursed himself. He shouldn't have let Tiamat convince him to investigate her children's nighttime ceremony for her slain husband, the god creator Apsu. But the risk was a chance for the young god to prove himself as a potential ruler. And of course, he desperately wanted to see the goddess Inanna at the temple. What he didn't want to see was two half-man, half-scorpion nightmares skittering at the temple gates. But that's what he saw before he screamed and ran back around the side of the temple, right into someone's grip. It was Tiamat and Apsu's son, Inki, who swigged a wine bottle and asked what Marduk was doing there. Marduk whispered frantically, Inky, there are things at the front gate. Men, scorpions, scorpion men. The goddess Lamu popped up behind Inky to ask, did they bring liquor? 
Inky rolled his eyes and leaned around the corner to see for himself. He chuckled and Marduk peered over Inky's side. The scorpion men were gone. Inky sneered. Go home, you little fool. Can't you see we're in mourning? Marduk clung to Inky. Just let me in, please. I brought beer. Marduk pointed to the pot of beer at the gates. Lamu's eyes brightened. Inky smirked. Get it and meet us back here. Try not to run into any imaginary foes. Marduk took a deep breath, then tiptoed to the front of the temple. It was only a few dozen steps. He could do this. He crept closer to the gates and the beer, on alert for possibly imaginary foes. When none appeared, he felt his heart settle, then jump back up into his throat when he heard an otherworldly shriek. It was just the temple's metal gates pushed open by Inanna. She snorted at Marduk's fright, then put an arm around him. I'm sorry, Mar, I couldn't resist. Say, is all that sweat really yours? You have a talent. Marduk patted his soggy tunic and thanked her, crestfallen. Then he lifted up the beer and followed his dream goddess into the temple. Inside, Marduk went pale at the sight of Kingu, striding up with his arms crossed. Marduk held out the beer and muttered his condolences. Inky ripped it from his grip and complained that it smelled cheap. He still took a gulp. Kingu gave Marduk a probing look. Well, I suppose you want some answers. Kingu had always been wiser and kinder than the others, and Marduk wanted to tell him about the Scorpion Men, but he remembered Tiamat's mission and the craven debauchery he'd witnessed in the window. He did need answers, so he asked, Kingu, why are you celebrating your father's death? Everything went quiet. Marduk gulped as he saw every god in the room glance at each other, then at Kingu, who sighed wearily. Inki ambled up with Lamu and grinned. Isn't it obvious? Because we're glad he's gone. Marduk looked to Inanna in confusion, and she motioned for him to follow her. He let Inanna, Kingu, Inki, and Lamu lead him away to sit around Apsu's tomb. Inanna poured Marduk a drink and told him how unhappy she was growing up. Lamu confessed that Apsu told her daily that her voice sounded like animals being tortured in the underworld. Kingu explained how Apsu never saw any of them as a successor. He didn't think they deserved to live. Their mother Tiamat told Kingu about Apsu's frustration, hoping her son would rally the gods to live up to their father's expectations. But fate had a better idea, said Inky. Someone killed him, not us as far as I know, but whoever did, they carried out justice, and I drink to them. The gods raised their glasses and drank. Marduk didn't. He just looked Inky in the eyes. I'm shocked, Inky. You seem like a killer. Inky exploded. I would have killed him, but... I was too afraid. Father taught me cruelty, not bravery. I don't expect you to know what it's like, 
but being around Tiamat and Apsu makes even a mighty god like me feel small. Marduk didn't like that he empathized with Inki, but as he looked at these scared, childish gods, for once he felt like he actually had power. He smirked. Tiamat thinks you killed Apsu. What if I ran to tell her how happy you all are? Inky pulled Marduk up from his chair and pushed him to the entrance. He laughed. Go ahead, run off. Be sure to tell those man-scorpions hello. Marduk tensed up, and for some reason, so did Kingu. Marduk knew it was foolish, but he blurted, I swear they were real and terrifying. What if they killed Apsu? Maybe they're here to kill you too. The gods gathered around him. Kingu spoke. Maybe they are, but if they return, I think we could take them together. Lamu and Inki growled in support. Inanna walked up to Marduk with a drink and caressed his cheek. We've learned that gods can die, Marduk, but if death comes tonight, let's live first. Marduk marveled at Inanna and her siblings, this beautiful, strong, carefree bunch. He couldn't say no to them because he wanted to be one of them. So he vowed to forget his fears and downed his first ever drink. The gods danced for hours. They even got into Marduk's bad beer, and thanks to a spell of Inanna's, they gulped it upside down from the vat while floating in the air. Marduk flew across the temple six feet high and feeling on top of the world. The musicians invited him to smoke a strange herb outside, and Lamu beckoned him to follow her down a dark hall, but he refused. He just wanted to dance by Inanna. Inky kissed Marduk's sweaty neck and called him a fool, this time in a nice way. Later, Marduk saw Inanna flit down that same dark hall. He wondered what fun she was up to and if he could join. He kicked off a wall to fly after her, but Kingu grabbed his leg. Tiamat's favorite son floated up and clasped Marduk's hands. Marduk, it's been grand, truly but you should leave now. Marduk laughed, I just got here. Then he floated off to follow Inanna's laugh. Marduk bobbed down the dark hall. Soon he heard whispers. It sounded like the scorpion men, but he was too drunk to care. He floated on, following the sound to an antechamber, where he saw Inki whisper into Inanna's ear, then kiss her. The pair floated into the air as Marduk felt his feet touch the ground. He stumbled away, down the hall to the back gates. He needed air. He needed space. Instead, he heard a shriek. It pierced through his haze of drunken hurt. Someone outside needed help. Marduk swung the back gates open. He took two steps, then slipped and fell into a puddle of something dark and sticky. When he lifted his hand into the moonlight, Marduk realized he was lying in a pool of blood. And there was more. 
he looked across the rocky back courtyard and found himself in a nightmare. The musicians' heads were severed on the ground, staring up with terrified grimaces and white, milky eyes. Their mouths were full of dirt. Then he saw their bodies, no, body parts, strewn everywhere. Strange, black, spiky arrows held them in place, but the limbs still quivered, half alive and in agony. Marduk heard that hiss again and choked back a sob. He wanted to run inside, but then he heard another pained shriek. Something urged him to follow it. Marduk turned the corner, sweat pouring from his brow, and nearly fainted from shock. The scorpion men stood facing each other. Their bulbous stinger tails were raised into the air, arched forward until they touched. Well, almost. Impaled between the stingers was Lamu. Marduk stared in horror as pulsing venom sacs on each stinger pumped black poison into Lamu's body. The goddess turned purple-red and swollen. Her veins pulsed as she screamed, I repent! She cried out over and over, until one scorpion man flicked his tail up and the other flicked his down. Lamu's cries were cut off as her body was split in two. Marduk gagged. The scorpion men jerked their heads toward him, eyes hidden by their veils. Then they ripped the cloth off to reveal bone-white pupils. Marduk met their gaze and saw a premonition of death, a pile of god parts, a sky of blood-red stars, and himself slung over the scorpion men's shoulders. He shut his eyes and screamed, Who are you? Why are you doing this? They spoke in unison. We are Ak and Gert, born of Tiamat. We are here to meet our father and punish Apsu's killers. We are justice incarnate. Then the scorpion men stabbed their stingers into Marduk's body. Coming up, Marduk fights to free his new friends from the Scorpion Men's wrath. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Now back to the story. 
Marduk squealed as the scorpion men dug their stingers into him and pushed him to the ground. They hadn't injected any venom yet, but the pain was unbearable. He looked away, taking in the sight of the goddess Lamu, who they'd torn in two. He looked back up as the scorpion men skittered closer on their dark, sharp legs. They drew their veils over their bare eyes, the eyes that gave Marduk visions of a terrible future. Now that he could look at them again, he realized they weren't both men. One had a slightly softer face and fuller lips. Still, she was terrifying. Marduk yelped, please spare me. The scorpion woman cocked her head to the left and asked, do you deserve to be spared? The scorpion man added almost childlike, is this justice? Marduk babbled that he was only there to spy for Tiamat. The scorpion man nodded, but you stayed to celebrate Lord Apsu's death and dance clumsily. Marduk retorted that he didn't kill Apsu. The scorpions looked at one another, then spoke in unison. Then you live for now. This is justice. The scorpions pulled their stingers out of his shoulders. Marduk scrambled up to block the temple gate. Listen, no one in there deserves to die. They're misguided, but they didn't kill our ruler. Tiamat was wrong. This isn't justice. The scorpion woman blinked. She jerked her head to her male counterpart, whose brow furrowed. Then they turned to Marduk. We agree to disagree. The scorpions dug their tails back into Marduk's torso, and now they did inject him with burning venom. Marduk fell, cutting his head open on the rocky ground. The woman gave a hint of a smile and said, Rest well. Nice to meet you. Then the scorpions swung the gates open and crawled into the temple. Within moments, Marduk heard screams. Inki, Inanna, all of them. He tried to move, but the poison made him too numb. All he could do was worry and sweat, just like he had all night. It really was his only talent. But maybe not a useless one. Marduk looked down to see that sweat poured from his puncture wounds, so clear and icy it felt more like rain. With it came trickles of black, as if his body was expelling the scorpion men's venom too. Marduk felt something shift within him, and he looked up to the sky. The blood that dripped from his forehead into his eyes turned the stars red, just like in the vision he'd seen in the scorpion's eyes. Marduk blinked the blood away. And rain fell, rain that he conjured. This was the power he'd never felt confident enough to claim. But now the storm in his heart washed the venom from his veins. Marduk rose up. It was time for him to show the scorpions what real justice was. 
Marduk stormed into the temple, tripping over the lesser god's limbs and gagging at the blood painting the ceiling. He grabbed a torch from the wall to guide his way and tried to follow Inanna's cries through the dizzying echoes. They led him straight to Apsu's tomb, where he saw a terrible sight. The scorpion man had Inanna pinned to Apsu's tomb with his tail, and he used his bow to shoot spiked arrows into her limbs to keep her pinned. On the other end of the tomb, the scorpion woman did the same to Inki. The scorpions spoke in unison at their prey. Confess or die. Marduk was about to rush in to defend them, but he stopped cold when Inanna screamed. All right, we did it. Lamu bought the blade. I cursed it and stormed Apsu's chambers. Inki bellowed, and I ripped Father Open to dance in his blood. Are you happy? Marduk stumbled into the chamber aghast. The surprised scorpions drew their bows at him, but he didn't care. He just asked Inanna, you lied to me? Even though he'd been stabbed six times, Inki snorted and rolled his eyes. Inanna looked at Marduk with sorrow that soured into disgust. She spat. I did what I did to survive, you blubbering fool. Now help us. Marduk took a step forward, but then he stopped. Do you deserve help, Inanna? Is that the just thing to do here? The scorpions lowered their arrows and exchanged a sly smile. Marduk shrugged. Perhaps I'll leave it up to the scorpions, the ones I warned you about. Inanna went pale. Inki hung his head in disgust. Marduk smiled at their fear, but the scorpion woman frowned. Apologies, little warrior, but according to Tiamat's will, the order to kill the killers must come from father alone. Then they turned towards the darkest shadows of the tomb. Slowly, a robed figure stepped forward. For a moment, Marduk thought Apsu was alive, until the figure dropped its hood to reveal Kingu. Marduk didn't understand. Wasn't Kingu happy that Apsu was dead? Didn't he help kill him? Kingu shook his head. He was a monster, but it wasn't my sibling's place to kill him. Mother and I agreed on that. That's why we created these beautiful beasts to punish the traitors. Oh, and speaking of, Kingu smiled at a stunned Inanna and Inki. Then he nodded to the scorpions. The assassins dove onto their prey, using their teeth, arms, claws, and stingers to tear Inanna and Inki apart. Marduk's knees buckled and he sank to the ground, but he was surprised at how little sadness he felt at watching Inanna die. He was numb now and not from the venom. When they were done, the scorpions delicately dabbed their bloody mouths with shreds of the slain god's robes. Kingu stepped toward Marduk, and the beasts flanked him with raised stingers. Kingu nodded. Now, as for loose ends. 
Marduk scrambled back. Kingu, your mother sent me here. I'm her ally. Kingu sighed. You're her alibi. She needed victims who were uninvolved with Apsu's slaying, so it all seemed like a random tragedy. That's why she sent more people here from the funeral. Irrelevant gods, like the musicians. And you. Marduk felt tears prick at his eyes. All Tiamat's talk of him being a leader someday was only a trick, and he'd fallen for it, like the fool he was. Kingu shook his head. When you first approached, I whispered at you from the window to go. I told you to leave on the dance floor because I pitied you. But you stayed, and you learned too much. So now, my children must feed. Kingu snapped his fingers, and the scorpions reared up to loom over Marduk. He felt himself sweat again and heard rain outside the temple. The sound reminded him of his last encounter with the beasts and gave him an idea. Their stingers whipped down to his neck, but instead of screaming, he asked, What is your purpose? Why were you created? The scorpions responded, Justice for the murder of Apsu. Marduk pointed at the bodies around him, Justice has been served, and your own creator says I had nothing to do with the murder, so how does killing me align with your cause? The scorpions looked at each other, almost as if they were hoping the other would answer, but no answer came, so they asked Kingu, Father, explain. Kingu was exasperated. I laid with my mother to create you, so you'll kill whoever I please. Justice be damned. The scorpion woman cocked her head to the left. This is complex. The man cocked his head to the right. We must discuss. Pardon us. Kingu's face contorted with rage as the scorpions withdrew their stingers. They moved to walk out of the room, but Marduk stood to block their way. He shrugged at the scorpions, almost regretful. No, pardon me. Then Marduk lifted his hands to the ceiling and drew them down. Rain, thunder, and lightning burst through the temple ceiling, and the rubble crushed Kingu. The room flooded, sending Marduk into a swirl of water, blood, venom, and body parts. He saw the scorpions tumble and flip, screaming in pain. Then, when Marduk's head hit the edge of Apsu's tomb, he saw nothing at all. Marduk awoke when dawn pierced his eyes. He realized he was moving across muddy terrain, away from the temple toward the sunrise. He was laid across the backs of the scorpion people, just like he saw when he looked into their eyes. He struggled, but the scorpion man warned him, Be still, you must heal. Marduk asked him why they saved him. The scorpion woman replied simply, you have a curious sense of right and wrong, more complex and adaptable than our own. Crueler, too. We wish to learn from you. Marduk felt a chill down his spine, equal parts fear and delight. He nodded, I accept, 
But first, take me to Tiamat. She must pay, and you will help. The scorpions asked in unison, Will that be justice? Marduk nodded. He wasn't sure if vengeance felt just, but it did feel right. The scorpion men's sense of justice is brutal, efficient, and almost childlike in its simplicity. Some have suggested it reflects the principles described in the ancient Babylonian justice system. From around 1792 to 1750 BCE, a king named Hammurabi turned the city of Babylon into the power center of Mesopotamia, and he ran his city according to a set of laws that were eventually written down in a collection of 282 legal decisions, which came to be known as the Code of Hammurabi. You may have heard of the phrase, an eye for an eye. That philosophy permeates this code. In ancient Babylon, many criminal acts were punished in cruel and inventive ways. Incestuous family members were burned alive. Breaking someone's arm meant your arm would be broken. Killing a pregnant woman meant one of your own daughters would be killed in return. It's a brutally logical system, but Hammurabi's code is also one of the earliest examples of the concept of innocent until proven guilty, which means these laws were tough, but not necessarily unfair to those who were truly innocent. The Enuma Elish, where the scorpion men were likely first described, was being told around the same time as this code. In it, the goddess Tiamat creates the scorpion men with her husband's son Kingu to avenge the murder of Apsu and kill the younger gods. Eventually, the other gods deem her actions to be too chaotic and pick Marduk to slay Tiamat, tame her evil creations, and become the new ruler. It can be argued that the scorpion men's creation story reflects Babylonian society's fear of the laws they lived under, but these monsters' eventual taming shows a belief that when innocents are punished unfairly, justice can still prevail to make things right. These Babylonian ideas were passed down over time as Greeks, Romans, and Arabs adopted and refined the ancient culture's myths. Even today, that genealogy continues, buried deep in the heart of astrology. The constellation we know as Scorpius was referred to as the creature with the burning sting in ancient Babylon, and there's no doubt that its sting is still felt today. People born under the zodiac sign Scorpio are said to have curiosities about death and the macabre from a very young age. They're also said to be spiritually close to the underworld and have clairvoyant qualities. But they're far from only doom and gloom. They're driven and they stick to their beliefs and are unafraid to give their time and energy to causes they care about, which sounds a lot like the ancient Scorpion men. So for any Scorpios out there looking for astrological role models beyond the Greco-Roman zodiac, be warned and be ready. The scorpion men could be skittering right outside your door.
Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. For more celestial stories, don't forget to listen to the rest of the Summer Solstice special on mythology, superstitions, and tales. And if you're curious about the astrological ideas we touched on in this episode, check out Horoscope Today, another Spotify original from Parcast, which gives a quick daily update on how the stars are affecting each sign of the zodiac. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Amin Osman, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez and Aaron Lan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Flowers, and here's a quick reminder to check out my new True Crime Limited series, International Infamy. Every Tuesday, I'm taking you across the globe to look at 15 of the most notorious crimes from 15 different countries. Some stories are sure to shock, some may leave you stumped, but all are quite the trip. Follow my new series, International Infamy with Ashley Flowers. Listen for free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.